Bob Newman, come on up. I think the real reason why David went back to Wisconsin is because he really likes cheese. I could be wrong on that, but I might be right. Well, maybe I will. There's something that all of us have in common that brings us here today. What, what is that? You got it. It's Jesus Christ. Our belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God separates us from the rest of the world. Is that correct? There's something very unique about believing with Jesus Christ, that you accept him as Lord and Savior. By grace through faith, you enter into an eternal covenant based on the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The wrath of God is satisfied. The justice of God is satisfied. And we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us power. And we are given a supernatural love by the Holy Spirit, as you see in Romans 5.5. 5. So there's something unique about those who are in Christ Jesus. They are a part of a new family. And I think sometimes it's easy to kind of take those things for granted. But when you really focus on those things, you become aware of those things and you pursue those things, that reality, your life starts to get transformed. We're talking about church today, how church should be done, why do we come to church? And I think the best way to understand this is to go to the source. In the book of Acts, we see Jesus. He is raised from the dead. He's in a glorified body. For 40 days, he visits the apostles. There's 11 of them now instead of 12. And he says before he leaves, he says, wait in Jerusalem until the promise from the Father comes. They don't know what the promise is, but you know what they do? They believe him. Because they believe him, their lifestyle changes. And they devote themselves to prayer. They're waiting for something. They know he's risen from the dead. They know there's something so significant that's going to happen, but they don't know what it is. Okay? Then the day of Pentecost comes. There's about 120 together praying, and the power and presence of God comes in a totally brand new way. Tongues of fire come over them. They start to speak in tongues. They're endued with power from on high power to testify who Jesus Christ is. God is a strategic God. It happened on Pentecost. There were a lot of visitors to Jerusalem on Pentecost. They were coming from different nations, devout Jews, coming to Jerusalem, coming to the temple to worship the Lord on Pentecost. And they see this. They experience this. They've never seen anything like this before. And all of these Jews, in their own languages, their own native tongue, from the nations they come from, they hear these, these native people, these Galileans, speaking in their unique languages. They're like, something is going on here. Something unique. What's the meaning of this? And Peter stands up. 
And he points to the book of Joel. This is what is foretold. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That is what has happened. And he talks about who Jesus was, crucified, the Son of God. And it says they were convicted in their hearts. The Holy Spirit, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, is he convicts the world of sin. As Peter partnered with the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel, they were convicted. And that conviction led to repentance unto salvation in Jesus as Messiah. And you know what happened? In one day, it looks like it's one day, 120 believers all of a sudden turned to a little over 3,000 believers in one day. That's pretty intense, right? And so they're, they're celebrating the reality of Jesus Christ and they're baby believers and they want to know about this. And these 11 apostles have been with Christ for about three years learning about the kingdom of God. And then you've got you know, a little over 100 others who have been connected to this community so they're more mature. The apostles, the leaders, and some of these other ones can be the elders to minister and impart truth and life to these new converts who are hungry for God. They're hungry for the kingdom. We're going to go to Acts 2.42 and see what church was to them. The fellowship of the believers, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of the breaking of bread, or to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was an awe because the presence of God was amongst them. The Holy Spirit was acting and moving and doing things transforming hearts and healing souls. The life of the Holy Spirit is so important to the body of Christ. But we start here with the teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teaching is very important. The teaching of who Christ is, who God is. The teaching of the Christian life, of morality. False teaching came into the church fast. Doctrines of demons attacked the truth. Satan always wants to pervert the truth, and he does it today in different movements within Christianity. There's a lot of false teaching. False teaching makes people shipwrecked in their faith, and so we need to know the word of God, and God has raised up it says in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. What is their role? Is to equip the saints of God for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So there are people designated and called of God to help teach, to help protect, to shepherd, to impart truth into the sheep, into the children of the Lord. And that teaching needs to have a central place in any sort of church function. And the next one, to the fellowship. We're talking 
heart-to-heart connections. The, the Greek word is koinonia, where I don't just say hi and shake your hand. I know what's going on in your life. Okay? It says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he's praying that we would have the same care for one another, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice, and that we would mourn with those who mourn. I bet there are a lot of people here who mourn in isolation and rejoice in isolation because they're not deeply connected enough with other people in the body. And that grieves God. God wants us to be so connected to one another that we know what's going on in each other's lives and each other's hearts. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right? And Paul talks about us as a body. We're members together. We need one another. We can't do this life alone, as Paul had counseled to David Hassenberg. He can't do it alone. If he's with the right people and gets the right support, the right love, the right heart stewardship, he's going to go way further. He's going to be way more emotionally satisfied and healthy, and he's going to bear a lot more fruit, right? And I think in, in many churches today, we are lacking the quality of fellowship that God is inviting us into, but we can do something about that. Maybe I should whisper. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, is it is it a better? <laughs> okay, the breaking of bread that involved communion. The common union in Christ before Jesus left this world. This is my body. This is my blood. Take and eat in remembrance of me. When we take partake of communion with one another, we are partaking of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, that he's coming back. And that's one of the things that keeps me moving forward. I have a lot of trials in my life, and I, I think maybe some of you do too. But you know what? When he comes back... No more trials. No more tears. If for this world alone we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all other men and women. Our hope is not in this world. It shouldn't be in this world. If it is, our hope is misplaced. Our hope should be in the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the restoration of all things. And that is what gives us a supernatural power to endure the hardships of life. Prayers. Before this service, there is pre-service prayer. On Tuesday nights, before communitas, there is pre-service prayer. When these people got together, ground shook. When these people got together, Peter, who was in prison, and they're planning on killing him the next day, an angel came to Peter, and an angel broke those chains. And an angel brought him out of prison and brought him back to the fellowship because the people of God were praying in faith. When you catch the reality of the power of prayer, the authority that you have in Christ, and you come together with other believers, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I with them. And God, he is not passive, he is active. And he is waiting on us to step into our authority and our call to release the kingdom of heaven. So when we pray... 
We come together by faith and we operate in our call. We operate in the power of God to change things in our environment as the Spirit leads. We also connect to God's heart in prayer. When I wait upon the Lord, I catch his heart and I get directional revelation. He, he, he tells me who to call, who to say what to. When I am so in tune with the Holy Spirit through prayer, Romans 8 says that the mature sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Can you lead a life where pretty much 24-7, waking or sleeping, you are so in tune with the Holy Spirit that you can be doing what God wants you to do like Jesus did? I believe the answer is yes. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be a prophetic. It says in Romans 8, all you got to do is be a Christian, a mature Christian, who makes this a priority in your life. The Holy Spirit will lead you. So that's really important. 2.43, it says, signs and wonders are done by the apostles. So they came together and they sought God together. Their hearts were satisfied together and they went out into the marketplace and naturally God opened doors and people were healed. And those healings became testimony to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ as a son of God. And more people came into the kingdom. That's pretty nice. That's pretty awesome to live a life like that. We all have the same Holy Spirit. You don't have to be an apostle to operate in miracles. All you have to do is step out in faith and believe and pray. Yeah, there's the gift of miracles. If you are not operating in miracles, then pray for the gift of miracles. I think that um, it does say that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills to the church. We don't all have the same gifts. But it also says that we should eagerly desire the greater gifts. So there's a responsibility on our end to seek those gifts, right? We're going to jump over to chapter chapter 2. We're going to go to 44, verse 44. And all who believe were together and had all things in common, okay? First century... Jerusalem had some different strengths and weaknesses compared to us. Okay? I think there was more poverty there. And, you know, Paul talked about somebody who doesn't know where they're going to live in a month. So that stuff does happen here. But we have way more financial resources than what they did. And they sought, this is a powerful, powerful Statement in 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as they had need. So the needs of the body of Christ determined the actions of the believers. Those who had the resources to meet those needs, they sold stuff to meet the needs of the believers. So I look at that and I say, it is important for God to meet our needs. And it should be important for the believers in, in the body of Christ to know what one another's needs are and to meet them. Okay? They had pretty healthy families back there. Their family values were off the charts. Fathers in the family. Divorce was like, you know, it happened, but it, it, it was way less rare than what it is now. And you have such a community living together, this family environment. And so they get their needs met emotionally, most of these folks. They're very healthy. We don't have that, right? A lot of us come from broken families. A lot of us are starving emotionally. Our needs aren't met. 
Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. And I think applying this principle to our situation is to say, how can we do community and relationship in such a way that our emotional needs are met by those in the body of Christ, those who have families, those who have healthy relationships, reaching out to the broken, reaching out to the isolated, and inviting these people out to dinner, inviting them to a movie night at your house, getting to know what's going on inside their hearts. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I think is on, the, on God's heart, meeting our needs and bringing health and wholeness into the body of Christ. Then we jump over to 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Okay. As a corporate group, they do a big church. They're going to the temple. The temple is huge, right? They can all fit in the temple and they can corporately worship God. They can corporately pray to the Lord. But there are things they can't do in big church in big groups. They can't have these deep heart-to-heart connections. They can't all exercise their gifts corporately in the body and grow in those gifts. Can you imagine 3,000 people all trying to operate their gifts? Do you know how long it would take? That would be like a 20-hour service to try and have everybody do that. But it does say in 1 Corinthians that we are supposed to do that, that there should be room for members in the body of Christ besides the apostle, pastor, evangelist, teacher, um, prophet to grow in their gifts. And what's the best way to allow this to happen, right? We, we have about an hour and a half, two hours, depending on when you come here, of, of, of service. People go to spend time with their families afterwards. They have other engagements. That's our society, right? And we're not going to just try and fight our society. In Africa, they do have the five and six hour meetings because that works with their culture. It doesn't so much with ours. But we can come together in smaller groups. I have done this multiple times. There is a group at a, a nearby college. God put it on my heart. There's some, some young guys that were coming and girls, and I felt God say, Bob, you're supposed to start a, a small group there. And he gave me the vision. He gave me a word for an encounter where you encounter God and you encounter each other in a special way. I shared it with these students, and they, they said yes to the vision. We started meeting there. And we waited upon the Lord. And God came, his presence, his spirit. And week after week, more people would come. And there was such an intimacy. And there was such a safety where people started to open up and be, be vulnerable and weep before each other and share their needs. And I'd encourage people to pray beforehand, listen to the spirit. Does God have a teaching for you to release? Does God have a prophecy? And you allow for people to grow in their gifts. Some people, they started to operate in the gift of prophecy. They started to, to speak words of knowledge over each other. They started to walk into more maturity and where some lives are just going in the gutter. They came to this group, experienced the love of God, the true identity that comes with that love, and their lives got redirected. You cannot do that in big church. But in a small group, lives get so changed if you do it the way God wants you to do. Do it. I 
we sent out a, a message a few days ago that we we're going to be talking about community. And I do want to open up the floor to anybody who has any thoughts on what Christian community should look like. Is there anybody who wants to share anything about that right now? Any thoughts? Okay. Well, uh, my my family lived in a comfort zone for a while. Uh, we had a a deluxe condo. It was called the executive or the executive condo in Minnetonka, and uh, we were very comfortable. We had an indoor swimming pool. We had <laughs> we had all the the aspirations and wants that America could want in a small family in that part of the town. But the, I had a very intimate moment with the Lord towards the end of our stay there where he came to my room. Like, I, my wife gets home, but she's not here right now because she works for the Star Tribune. So she sleeps during the morning and activates herself at night. But um, <laughs> with a little, little Java jolt, she gets going. But usually she gets home around... Uh, 5.30 to 6.30 a.m. And one morning I was laying in my bed, and uh, or actually on the couch, because we had a bed and a couch, and it was so big we had a, a living room and a bedroom in our bedroom. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm in the living room area laying down, and uh, I heard the door open and shut, and I heard a few creaks coming towards me. And I said my wife's name. I said, Lisa, and there was no answer. And then I, I laid there for a minute, and I was like, oh, my God, he's in our room. <laughs> the, oh, my God, he's in our room. And so I just said, my Lord, and there was no answer. But then I heard him speaking in my heart instead. There was not like a, a verbal, as we would speak to one another, it was more he spoke into me. And he said, you told people that I ride on clouds, but I am telling you I am the cloud rider. And he said, look for me as the cloud rider. Around this time, he had me seeking in the book of Acts between one and two. And I had noticed how he ascended on a cloud. So I was telling people, he rides clouds, he rides clouds. And he came to me and said, no, I am the cloud rider. I went to my mentor, Stephen Ugin. I said to him, what does this mean? And then so it was towards the end of their sabbatical where a bunch of people were gathered together. And what we came to the conclusion was, is we are to follow the cloud. It hasn't changed. He's the same God as yesterday, today, and he will be tomorrow. There's a time where we go through the desert, as my daughter said. <laughs> we were sitting around the table yesterday morning just like, what are we going to do next? We don't know where we're going to go. We don't know what we're going to do. And, and my mom just looked at my daughter, five years old, and said, what is Jesus telling you? She said, we need to go to the desert. <laughs> and so what I really, what we received from that, is there's, there's a time for us to really be mentored by him, to, to follow after him and to seek him. And, and that is what community is. We can't do it alone because you might have a word for my life and I might have a word for your life. You might be hearing from the Lord to sell your house and to sell your items or sell your car, but your flesh is saying, Heck no, I'm not, I will never sell my house and sell my car and sell my land and give it away. And, but if you're in that community position, you know, you can have the affirmation. Without even speaking it to someone else, without confessing it to someone else, the Lord can put it into someone else's heart to say unto you, 
as they get the courage and boldness from the intimacy they have with you. Or he might be calling you to bring convicts or, or homosexuals or anything into your home. And you might be saying to yourself, well, my children, I don't want them seeing homosexuals and how they act and respond around one another. So I don't want to do that. But then your community people come together and speak into your life. That can end up activating you for what God wants to do in the greater good of, of humanity. So community is, is intimacy, I would say, to, uh, to conjoin one another go forward. Amen. Ra- raise your hand. Thank you, Clifton. Raise your hand. Are you, if anyone here is looking for deeper relationships with people and for more intimate, deep community, are, are, are those needs out there? I see some hands raised. So the need is out there, and um, we're going to be able to do communion right now. So, Paul, are you leading us in communion? Thank you, Bob. Let's stand together. Do we have the elements? You can bring them on in. Jesus didn't want us to forget these truths. So he took a festival that they knew about, the Passover, and he gave it a, a new covenant context. And so that's what we're going to do today. So you can start passing it out as I speak to this. So we remember how our Lord Jesus Christ, and as you get it, you just hold on to it. We remember how our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took a cup after supper, after giving thanks. He gave it to them saying, Drink of it all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Before we drink the Bible encourages us to just look inside. It says examine yourself so that you don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner. It says some were getting sick because they were not discerning the body. So what does that mean? Well, he just talked about the body. It could mean two things. It could mean discern Christ's body, the person of Christ and his body, and that's one because we're taking of Christ himself. But now look around. This is the body as well. We want to discern the body. And so may God give us eyes to see this body as well so that we can truly rejoice with those who rejoice. The reason we do things like we do during worship time is to alert one another to needs out there. So we are bold to come before a Father through the Holy Spirit who allows us to cry, Abba, Father, and we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So we take a moment. We say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Test me. Know my thoughts. See if there is any wickedness in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We confess anxiety, fear, and disruption. We confess wrong attitudes or actions. We receive grace from the Lord who comes to us now speaks peace to us, gives us his presence. Or take and eat the body of Christ. Take and drink the blood of Christ. You can just pass your cups this way and then somebody can come down and just collect them. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ and His precious blood strengthen you. Strengthen you and keep you steadfast to life everlasting so that you will endure, so that you'll not give in the darkness of the time, but that you will shine your light in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. As Paul says, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may rejoice, he says, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We're going to apply this message in this way. We're going to break up into small groups. Groups of four would be a good number. And, and we want to take these aspects and look at them together. Maybe someone has a testimony to share in that small group. Something that that God did for you. Maybe someone has a real struggle. Things you can do in four that you can't do with 60 or 70. So, if you need to leave, we understand. But if you're able to stay for just a, a few moments in a small group context, you can Uh, It can be the people that are close to you, or if you have friends that you want to be with, you can go grab them. But somewhere around four, and just uh, spin your chairs around. You can move the chairs however you need to. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the the, uh, meeting? Let's say thank you uh, to Bob for his message to us. I'm going to speak the blessing now. In fact, I'm going to ask a lady to give the blessing. I'm going to ask you to bring the blessing to us, Alma. Uh, she walks with the Lord, and it's wonderful to have her in her home. And God's used her to touch, uh, in the countries that she's been in, to touch uh, multiplied thousands. I know that. She and her husband labored, then he went to be with the Lord. And uh, she is a, a delight to have around. And so we're going to ask her. She's my mom's best friend, and they're both fireballs of intercessors 
as well as my father. And afterwards, I thought it would be wonderful, too, if they could pray for people. Alma is leaving today, so we wanted to honor you by uh, asking you to pray for us, right? Exactly. She's known her for 70 years. (laughs) The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with each one of you. May you grow in that grace and love him as never before. God's blessings on each one of you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Okay, small groups, group of four, sit down, find a place to sit down and share personally a victory, a struggle, a defeat, a, a need, however you want to. <laughs>